Aloha. Thanks for tuning in to the conversation. It is Friday, December 8th. Aloha Friday and day three of our end of the year campaign. I'm Catherine Cruz. Mahalo for joining us. Wanted landlords willing to turn their short-term rentals into long-term units to help families displaced by Maui's wildfires. FEMA, the Federal Emergency Management Agency, is holding a webinar at this hour and officials are available to answer your questions. We Hanahoa Lahaina story about healing on this four months after the wildfires. Beloved Maui musician Uncle George Kahumoku shares his thoughts on Lahaina's recovery. And we get to know New Zealand actress Rena Owen better. She stopped by our studios earlier this month to share how she and other Maori actors are helping to train Hawaii's talent. You know, today is the four-month anniversary of the Maui wildfire disaster. More than 2,000 of our local residents are still in temporary shelters in more than 30 different hotels. At this hour, FEMA, the Federal Emergency Management Agency, is hosting a webinar to try and secure long-term housing for Maui's wildfire victims. FEMA and leasing officials have been on hand at the Weston Maui Resort in Kaunapali since early this morning. They will be there until 3.30 today if property owners want to stop by and talk about the nuts and bolts of the program. FEMA has hired three property management companies to process applications and handle the rentals. We talked to Deborah Young, spokeswoman for the agency, about what you need to know. Our direct lease program basically looks for multifamily homes or single-family homes, apartments that the property owner is willing to lease to FEMA, and then we pay all the expenses and we place families into those homes, into those rental properties. And um, right now, you know, with the market here in, in this area being so tight with property, we are really looking at the short-term property owner to try to convince them to turn their properties over to where FEMA can rent them and use them for the direct lease program. Well, I know some of the concerns that have come up, uh, you know, landlords may be worried about will they have problems, uh, you know, with tenants if there needs to be an eviction and, you know, that can get kind of ugly and messy. Uh, You know, they're wondering about, you know, damages to a property, Um, You know, these are worst case scenarios, but, you know, there's just something to think about. So how does your program deal with things like that? Well, FEMA, when we place anyone into a direct housing unit, we have strict rules and regulations that the person must follow. And if they don't, then we are able to move them out of that property. We actually are having an event at the West End Maui Resort in Kanapali, and that event will be open to property owners if they're interested in finding out about the direct lease program. It's going to be a webinar. You can either attend in person or you can view the webinar. If you come in person in the afternoon, the property management companies that we have contracted with will be available to talk to you and explain how the program works and um, give you any information and sign you up if you're interested in helping out. And you want to get families in ASAP? Yes, we definitely do. Right now, there are 2,600 households still living in 33 hotels across the state. So we want to try to get people out of those hotels and into some kind of stable housing as soon as possible. Um, We're looking to try to get 1,500 rental properties by the end of the year. And right now, I know we have at least 1,200 families who are eligible for FEMA's direct lease program. So we really want to try to get them into something stable before the end of the year. Will the information about rent be available at the webinar, or will those leasing companies have that information? 
Yes, they would be able to talk to you about that information. What else do property owners need to know? Well, we just want them to know that, that one, it's a, a stable income for them. I know short term, sometimes you will have someone renting and sometimes you don't. So this will provide a longer term lease, up to 24 months. And whatever other incentives that I know the state and county are offering, you know, combined with having that stable rent would probably be beneficial to many of these short-term property owners. And then the property managers, they, what, will cover property damages or, you know, work out any landlord or tenant issues? Yes. FEMA covers any damages or anything that might happen to the property while one of our, you know, survivor families are in that property. And when the lease is over, we will return that property to the condition that it was in when we began the lease. And then how far out are we talking about? You know, what's the general area that you're looking to rent these homes? We're ideally looking for properties within 40 miles of the Lahaina area. A lot of families from this area don't want to leave. Um, They really need to be here. They have children in school. Their jobs are here. And they really want to stay in this area. So we're initially looking for anyone who has any type of property within 40 miles of this area. And then under this plan, though, FEMA is going to provide the security deposit, you know, write the contract, do all the checks that the landlords might need? Yes. You know, the families have been pre-approved for the direct lease program. So all of that has been done. And FEMA handles all of the contracting for whatever we need to do to be able to lease that property. Before we even approve a property, we have somebody go out and inspect the property. And I'm not sure how long that process takes. I can't imagine it would take more than a couple of weeks. Okay. But but the main thing yeah. is you do want to move on this because, you know, the, the yes, time's running out. we want to move on it as quickly as possible. These families have been through much, way too much. And right now, staying in a hotel with children and some hotels not being able to cook and different things like that, we really want to try to get them into some type of stable housing. Anything else that you would want our listeners to know? Not about that subject, but um, we, there's also an issue that, that has come up about the right of entry forms that homeowners need to sign in order to allow FEMA and the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers to enter their property for debris removal. There are several thousand properties, I believe, that need to be cleared, and only several hundred of them have right of entry forms. And it's really just an application for the federal debris removal program. Some people are concerned that that means that they're signing their property over to FEMA, and that's not true. It's just giving the government, you know, the Army Corps of Engineers, the right to enter your property, and they won't do it without your consent. Enter your property to remove that debris that needs to be removed before people can begin rebuilding. So that may be hampering or slowing down the cleanup process. Yes, and I know that they've begun up in Kula. They are already cleared, I think, three or four properties. In Lahaina, it's a little slower, and but they are definitely making progress. So if there are those thousands of other families that need to sign in this paperwork, where do they need to go to do that? Okay, they can do it in person at County Building in the lobby on High Street in Waluku, and also at the Lahaina Disaster Recovery Center, right at the Civic Center. And they can also do it online at MauiRecovers.org, and they can click on Fire Debris Removal. And, you know, we need people to know there's no out of 
out-of-pocket cost for this, and, um, you know, we will clear their property based on their drawing of their property line. And we also work with them if there are certain objects that they want to stay on their property. Um, they would just let us know, let the Army Corps of Engineers folks who are out there working know not to remove certain items that might be left on their property. And we really try to be respectful about that. Okay. All right. But it's just necessary steps in the whole process, and you really want to move this along. Right. And, okay. yeah, and we, again, won't go onto your property without that permission from you. All right. Well, Deborah Young, thank you so much for your time, and hopefully we can get the word out uh, not just to the property owners who might be interested in signing up with your program, but then also those affected families so they can get the cleanup going. But thank you. And that was Deborah Young, spokeswoman for FEMA. And, you know, earlier this week, we told you about a state program for those families who are not eligible for uh, those FEMA programs. The Rapid Assistance Program, or RAP for short, will offer uh, landlords between $5,000 and $11,000 for one- to four-bedroom units. Both programs are looking to entice property owners of short-term rentals to convert to long-term rentals to help families displaced by the wildfires. Look for links on our website later today. Support for HPR comes from Ruby Tuesday Hawaii, offering dine-in and take-out daily at its restaurants in Kapolei, Mililani, Moanalua, and Kaneohe. Catering available for business meetings and events, rubytuesdayhawaii.com. And let's get back to our stories about Maui. George Kahumoku Jr. is a Grammy Award-winning master of the slack key guitar, affectionately known on Maui as Uncle George. He hosts the longest-running concert series featuring Hawaiian musicians in Apili. He's also known for his Native Hawaiian cultural immersion workshops. This past August, Uncle George spoke with one of our producers, Stephanie Hahn, as he shared his perspective on Lahaina's recovery with his students. First of all, I think that each of us needs to just kind of like, the priority needs to be uh, everybody get some kind of clarity. And this is like a reset button for all of us. COVID was the first reset button. And we just need to get clarity and focus on just one thing that each of us can do day, even me, you know, because we're all scattered brain now, all places that got so much feelings and emotions going on, and try to do something positive by serving others. I think that's how we can uh, do, instead of just thinking of yourself and the families you lost and all like that, just think of something that you can do to, to help out others, starting with yourself and get some clarity. So if you can just do one thing at a time, that's what I would say, because I think we should get off social media, we should get off of our the phones, you know, I hate to say it like that. And we should just get one-to-one with each other, with families and with your, your loved ones and everybody and connect with someone for real, not through not through uh, technology. Because I think it's, that's, it's important that we, we have that human contact with each other at this time now, especially when now there's something so horrific that, that's happened to all of us. That's the first step. And the other thing I think that you should do is Start sharing uh, things that, you know, you, you can share. You can share a meal with your friends and your neighbors, you know. You can share uh, songs like that's what we're doing over here. We're sharing the music. But share uh, the gifts that uh, kind of like God gave each of us. Because each of us has special gifts that only we have and nobody else has. So I think through service, we can get out of ourselves and help people 
you know, that are not as fortunate as we are. And always, always count your blessings. Everything that we have is a blessing. And even the, the water we have that we can drink or the food we have is like medicine, you know, for us. And look at things from that point of view as, as uh, anything that we, we um, eat or drink or anything is a blessing. And it's a, somebody had to sacrifice to put that on, on our, you know, in our table or for us, some farmer or somebody had to pick that, that fruit that you're eating and uh, just be thankful. That's all, that's all I got to say. Just be thankful and count your blessings at this time. But get off of all, all the social media, get off of TV, you know, and, and get off of radio and all like that and just make a, a connection with someone one-to-one. Uh, -one. I think that's make make a, a big difference in the world. Happened with uh, with Lahaina is that they ha actually had no connections for a while, you know, for almost a whole week because the electricity went out, knocked out all of the power, you know, no cell phone and, and everything like that. And everybody was kind of crazy, you know, but I think there was like, you know, like a wake-up call for all of us just to put down our devices and just look look for comfort, you know, from each other, you know, from, from the little circles of friends or uh, from your neighbor, you know, learn who your neighbor is and see how you can help out each other. That's all I got to say for right now. And I, you guys got anything you want to add, Michelle? What do you think? I think that those little things, they add to the healing. So right now, you don't really feel a difference. Like when you speak to your neighbor, you make a meal, share a meal, you don't feel it. But in a couple of days or a week, you're like, oh my God, I'm feeling so much better. And those are the little things that count because that's the healing. That's what's going to help us heal and get through this. Okay, how about you, Haley? You got anything? I love what you said about taking care of yourself first right, right. because you have to be well in order to give back. you got to love yourself before you can give your love to others. How about you, Jack? You got anything? Yeah, I think it is important to mourn, you know, because you got to look out for yourself in that way and you have to take time to um, to look back on those memories and cherish them, and, and but don't let it affect um, how you treat other people and your place in the community. Okay, and Isabel, you got any two cents? The community is so strong out here, and I feel like everyone who you know, puts forth their energy and their love towards other people, I think that that is important to make those connections with people and, you know, spend that time with family and friends. And, you know, we're all in this together. You know, the only place we can go from now is up. And yeah, you move, move forward. So that's, that's our word for today. Those who are listening is that you move we're going to rise all above this, and and uh, it's going to take us a little bit of time and everything, but you know, with a collective force of mindset and uh, and goodness in our hearts and everything, and being grateful for the things that we do have, I think we can move forward. So that's our two cents from Kakalo Maui. This is potentially a huge reset for Maui, and not only Maui, but a direction that the entire state could take. What do you think must be prioritized to rebuild? These questions were happening way before uh, this, the forest came and problems with housing. I've been farming for over 50 years on these, these islands and one of the problems has always been housing. So now we have a real problem in Lahaina with housing, but I think housing, even when I farmed on the big island, you know, housing was a problem for the workers who work for you and, uh, you know, people couldn't afford. So we're going to have to look at alternative ways of coming up with 
so people can af- afford to. And if it, the housing comes food. I think right now, the island of Maui, and I've always been on this in this level, even when I thought I uh, was in the school and everything. This is like your basic needs is like housing, food, and some kind of services that you can do. You could call it a job or, or something like that. Food security has always been you know, on my radar since I was a little boy, raised from my great-grandparents in South Kona, you know. I don't know if you're going to lax the laws or, or make something that's even better. Instead of us, you know, bringing in fruits and vegetables from afar, every household, everybody should be learning how to plant. Even if you grow green onions just for your saimin or something like that, you know, you can have pots in your in your balcony or whatever, even in condos and stuff like that. But everybody should have a hand. And even if you don't have a place they can garden, you know, you should have community gardens where people can go in, you know, share food and share wisdom and stuff like that too that's going to be uh, important for the future of the islands so anyway that's my two cents this is like a reset button for all of us to kind of look at our resources and use the ones that we have so we can better our lives here here's a song that uh, we want to share here with my Lyman Alliance and teacher George Kahumoku Jr. with his students sharing thoughts about how housing and food security are foundations to recovery from the wildfires as we mark four months since the blaze tore through Lahaina and Kula. Support for The Conversation comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, whose contributors help Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributor Anchor Systems Hawaii. Our reality check today is about the sudden departure of a key member of the Hawaii Public School Superintendent's team. Honolulu Civil Beat Education Reporter Megan Tagami joins us with the story. Good morning. Hi, good morning. Boy, this is quite the bombshell. Right. It sounds like as of Wednesday, Randall Tanaka has separated from the Department of Education and he was serving as the Assistant Superintendent of the Office of Facilities and Operations since early 2020. And so DOE has not been very forthcoming about details. You know, they often say, oh, it's a personnel issue. We can't talk about it. But you talked to someone who said that he basically was let go? Yes. Like you said, DOE confirmed that Randall Tanaka separated from the department as of Wednesday earlier this week, but they wouldn't confirm if Tanaka was fired or resigned. But I did talk to someone who was in part of this internal meeting for the facilities and operation branch where, you know, Tanaka worked. And he said that in the meeting, the department confirmed that Tanaka had been terminated from his position. Now, this comes on the heels of uh, something that came out about I guess, more than 150 construction projects, right, in the DOE that had money that was going to lapse. Right. So last week, there was a memo that came out 
of the House, saying that the DOE was proposing to let $465 million lock in school construction funds. And there was supposed to be a hearing on this as of yesterday afternoon, but the hearing was canceled. And so I know that DOE often has a matrix of projects that, you know, they support. You know, it's like it's a priority list of projects that they think need to get funded. And then lawmakers often come in with bills of their own, you know, pet projects in their districts that they want funded. But it, it's just so interesting that we had this huge amount of contracts that just isn't going to move forward. Right. And I know that was a concern for legislators who did have these projects that they want to see moved forward, especially because there's a lot of schools in Hawaii that are more than 100 years old. And I know for some legislators, it's a priority to see, you know, new buildings being developed or having the most up-to-date facilities for local schools. Yes. And I think you've written about some stories that concern the fire alarms that are not working in some schools. And, and we have had a huge backlog of repair and maintenance across the state. Right. There has been, you know, especially following the Maui fires earlier this year, there's been some concerns about the state of facilities at DOE schools and specifically their fire preparedness. So like I was looking at last month, um, there's a number of schools in the DOE that, that need repairs to their fire alarm system. So that's another issue that the facilities office has been dealing with and trying to, you know, trying to address. And I know when I talked with DOE officials last month, I think, you know, I was uh, wondering about the construction for the preschool build out that the uh, lieutenant governor, you know, was pushing the Cakey Ready programs. So I'm wondering how that's going to be affected by this. Right. Definitely. I think there's a number of projects and initiatives you know, that fell under the Office of Facilities and Operations branch that might be up in the air now, or, you know, we're looking for additional details about how these projects will proceed now that Randy Tanaka has left his post. Yeah, and this comes at a time when the school board is considering a pay raise for the superintendent. But yeah, obviously, we'll have to see how all this plays out. Definitely, right. And I know that this also comes as what the Department of Ed is also looking to increase its local food, you know, the local products used in school lunches, and that also seems to fall under the Office of Facilities and Operations. So it seems like advocates in that space as well are looking to see how the department moves forward with this. Yeah, well, he certainly had a lot on his plate. But thank you so much, Megan. Thank you. That was reporter Megan Tagami with today's Reality Check. You can read her story at civilbeat.org. Support for HPR comes from the Hawaii Community Foundation, committed to supporting the people and places affected by the Maui wildfires. Donations accepted at hawaiicommunityfoundation.org slash MauiStrong. We've got a treat for you on this Aloha Friday. Award-winning Maori actress Rena Owen has been making trips to our islands to conduct workshops for aspiring actors. It's part of an effort by the newly formed International Culture and Arts Network, or ICANN, in order to train local people for careers in film and television. 
Uh, Owen has had notable roles in the Star Wars franchise and in many major film and TV productions, but she's best known for playing a mother trying to save her family from an abusive husband in the 1994 critically acclaimed film Once Were Warriors. I found something better, Jake, and I'm going to make damn sure my kids have it all. From now on, I make the decisions for my family. F*** off, then. You get nothing from me. You've got nothing I want. Our people, once were warriors. But not like you, Jake. They were people with mana, pride, people with spirit. My spirit can survive living with you for 18 years then I can survive anything. Maybe you taught me that. Owen sat down with the Conversations Russell Subiono in our studio recently to talk about what Hawaii's film industry can learn from the early days of the New Zealand film industry. Growing up in New Zealand as a hapa girl, my dad's Māori, my mama's a haole, Caucasian, and I knew when I was a young kid that I was hypersensitive, vivid imagination, dramatic, emotional, and I would perform in in all the local multicultural groups, you know, singing and dancing, entertaining the tourists, and then I did a lot of high school musicals and plays, so I knew as a teenager that I had found my place in the world on that stage, making people laugh or making people cry. I got such a buzz. However, at the end of the 70s, it wasn't a career option for me. I had no role models. We didn't grow up seeing brown faces on our TV screens or in the movies or on stages. And there was one job being advertised for Māori, Polynesian young woman in the newspaper. My mum called up and said, oh, my girl would love to be a performer. And of course it was quite typical of the, the times. It was for Polynesians to wear topless and wear grass skirts to dance on a boat. My mother's like, you're not going to do that. And also as a woman at the end of the 70s, I could be a secretary, a teacher or a nurse. And so I trained as a nurse and I qualified as a nurse. Then I went to London uh, supposedly to go to med school to become a doctor. And well, I went on a whole different journey and ended up going to drama school in London. And I've been, so I've been doing it now since I committed to it professionally, September 1985. Wow. And I knew back then I had to create the opportunities for myself. I had to write the roles for me because I knew no one was going to write roles for this biracial hapa girl. Mm -hmm. And so I created my own roles to be seen, to tell my stories, and also you know, to learn my craft. And that was, I started in London and I studied part-time at the Actors Institute. And then when I got back to New Zealand, I continued in Māori theatre and I became one of the founding members of creating Māori theatre in New Zealand and that first television series I mentioned to you. And I got Warriors at the end of my eighth year as a professional. And one of the reasons I won that role is because I had craft. And that's what I'm here to teach for ICANN, for the International Cultural Arts Network, which is all about elevating and empowering. Because somebody did it for me back then, Jim Moriarty, Don Sowen opened the doors for me 
you know, when I, you always got to have someone open the door for you, mm-hmm. someone who says, okay, this is possible. When you look at how New Zealand cinema has grown and evolved, do you see some parallels between the early days and where Hawaii's film industry is? Absolutely. You know, and and before cinema always comes the theatre. And I remember in 1990, Jim Moriarty invited me to be part of the first ever theatre marae season. And that was a bunch of different stage shows that were written by Māori, made by Māori for Māori. And most of these people didn't have any experience, but it was about exactly what's happening here, is bringing people out of the woodwork and saying, hey, you've got an arena. If you want to write, you want to try acting, or you want to maybe try producing, here is a safe space. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I salute the founders of ICANN this company is doing is opening the door and saying hey come on in we've got a space for you here we need to give you skills we need to train you up and I think that became really quite obvious even more so when they made Joseph and Momoa's Apple TV series where there was the lack of people who had the skills and and the craft you know it's good that you bring that up because I was going to ask you about that when the casting was announced for Chief of War there was some people who vented their frustration on social media about non-Hawaiians being cast in historical Hawaiian roles. And I just wanted to know if there was something that you could share with those people that maybe kind of helps them understand how this is a win for Hawaiians in the long run. In the long run, I think there's multiple things that go into the decision-making behind the scenes, so to speak. Firstly, you've got two of the biggest names Mm -hmm when it comes to Cliff Curtis and Timmy Eda Morrison. doesn't get any bigger. And every production, especially American productions, need names. Just like Rapa Nui, mm-hmm. 30 years ago, had to cast two big names that weren't Polynesian. But they had names because basically you're asking somebody to invest $20 million, if not more, into your product. So they want some kind of certainty that people are going to watch it. And so you got names. So Jason surrounded himself with big names, as big as it gets when it comes to Polynesian actors. You've also got budget considerations. Local hire is the word here. That's one of the production realities. It's like, hey, we'd love to... And I, I, there is some really pretty stunning Hawaiian talent coming up right now. I mean, Wind and the Reckoning. You know, I've seen the uh, Waikiki. Yep. You know, there's some great talent out there, but it does come down to production. Production will often say it's budget-wise, we have to go with local because the advantage of local, local hire means we don't have to pay for your accommodation, we don't have to pay for your transport, we don't have to pay your per diem. So I think there's valid kind of points on on both sides and and I agree that you know the time must come where Hawaiians must play Hawaiians as I said to Angie back in the day we would never let that ever happen in New Zealand there's no way we would let a non-Maori play Maori but we've come 30 years we've got that 30 year of you know unlike me who saw no brown faces our drama schools are full of Pacific Islanders, and they're competitive now because they're learning craft, they're learning skills, and that's what ICANN is all about, is giving 
the people here skills and giving them the opportunity to go, hey, is this something I could apply myself to as a viable career? Because even me, I as I say, I got Beth Hecke and Once Were Warriors because I was at it for eight years learning my craft. I didn't make a penny in theatre. You don't. I waited tables. I cleaned toilets. I did all these odd jobs because they were paying the rent. But the main thing was I was doing my passion. I was working in theatre, I was writing, acting and learning my craft and that's what it's about and that's why I'm happy to be here and hopefully impart some craft and open some eyes or, or give a few people in the, in the workshop some new skills. But when you look at Once Were Warriors, that was the first Polynesian film in terms of the majority. We were all the majority except for the judge and a couple other characters were right. Palangi, were Hauli. But we had to wait another 10 years before we got Whale Rider. And then another 10 years before we got Boy. <laughs> you know, but this is, you just keep at it. It's basically, it's a canoe. It's like a, a waka. You jump in this canoe and you got to stick in there and you just got to keep paddling, keep paddling, keep paddling and help to create those opportunities. Position yourself for those opportunities. If we look at Rapa Nui 30 years ago to where we are now, yeah, at least now we're getting people of Polynesian lineage, mm -hmm. of people who have a heart and a wairua, you know, a spirit mm -hmm. for it, who are going to do their best to respect and honour and, and portray your tūpuna. But I absolutely agree with you. The day will come when Hawaiian films will be made by Hawaiian. Yeah. and for Hawaiian and by Hawaiian. When you see now all these films that are coming out and, and are kind of boldly going forward and saying, this is us, this is our life, this is our culture as Polynesians, how does that make you feel to see what the industry looks like now? Well, I, I'm excited by it because it's taken us a long time to get to this point. It has taken a good 30 to 40 years to get to this point where suddenly we're visible, you know, we're identifiable. You now see in, in Hollywood breakdowns Pacific Islanders or this role they're looking for Samoan or they're looking for a Māori or they're looking for... We never had that back in the day. And what's really helped all of us, for everyone of people of culture or colour, is Oscars So White. That really blew the roof off the ceiling where it's like, even me, I mean, I loved that movie straight out of Compton. And I was shocked that it didn't even get a nomination for a song. Mm -hmm. And that is part of American musical history. Yeah. It's part of the legacy. It's part of the legend. And and now that just doesn't happen anymore. You know, now those people in positions of power are going out of their way to be more culturally sensitive yeah. and to be more culturally inclusive. So I, I think we're at a good space. I also think... Like Jason, you know, good on him for putting his mana and his name and his bankability to something local that he is passionate about, which is creating opportunities and will create more opportunities. Rena Owen, this has been such an honor to talk to you. Oh, it's absolutely my pleasure. Anytime. God Thank bless you, you brother. Uh, that was the iconic Maui actress, Rena Owen talking with HBR's Russell Subiono about building up Hawaii's film industry. And that is our Aloha show, Aloha Friday show for you today.